Time heals all wounds, they say. All? Every wound. Most. Time and attention to the wound <laughs> heals wounds. Unless it's a fatal blow. Right. But then time heals it in a way. Eventually, nobody remembers Wait. you. You're just dust. Oh, great. You're just uh, no. yeah, ash. The healer. That yeah. People look back and say, do you remember him? And they go, no, I have no idea yep. because uh, it's 200 years ago. Who knew who that guy was? So eventually, it'll be fine. You've got to keep that perspective when having discussions about the Maple Leafs. Eventually, none of this will matter. Future particles. <laughs> because of you'll be ash. dust. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The universe Dear future will have ash. compressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big crunch is coming in billions and billions of years. That's right. How can you be upset now? We're all no. going to get swallowed by a black hole. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's kind of foolish. We should be spending any time on this whatsoever now that you think about it. <laughs> Let's go inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but. We're supposed to have clarity now. This is where I was going with this. We're supposed to have a little bit of clarity. Supposed to feel like the healing has begun. And I, I've seen some of that. I've seen a little bit of people trying to move on, whether it's through some of the discussions we're going to have right now or whether or not it's through shifting blame or calming around on whether or not someone actually deserved blame or whether fans are too mean or media is too harsh. But... I got to say, and I, I wanted to start this conversation with just, is there anything that any of you or any of us have rethought or adjusted on with a little bit more time and a little bit more clarity? And I'm going to say out of the gates that I apologize for absolutely bleeping nothing and <laughs> that I have not shifted a single thing. If anything, my anger has grown and my want and desire for accountability and something different has only increased, and I have become even more bullish in every single one of my stances. You bloodthirsty. First, you, you started this off all nihilistic and ready to, and now, and now you're back. The, the good news right. is, what do they say? It's like the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. And right. you're, not, you're not at indifference. You're at hate, nope. and that's good. Uh, it's, you're engaged. I, I can respect that. I actually uh, have one thing that I changed my mind on entirely. I wrote in the immediate aftermath of the Leafs thing that uh, Mitch Marner played too much, and that was part of the reason. I don't think he did. I looked at it closer. I don't think he did. I think he played just the right amount, which makes it even worse, because I don't think he was exactly exhausted so much as, I don't know, didn't play good. So there's right. one thing, but uh, you know I don't have any overarching thing except that looking at the signings around the the core guys, mm -hmm. uh, you know Thornton was no help, Simmons was no help in the end. Like the guys that we were hopeful would be able to help them out really weren't that effective in the end outside Spezza. So I, I guess that's two things that I've changed my stance on a bit. Yeah, but that that was an that was a stance that we all had in the regular season. That's, that's a true. stance that we all had like shifted off of. Even heading into the playoffs, I can recall how many conversations the three of us had about if this truly was a meritocracy, Thornton wouldn't be playing. And that, you know, he went on a little bit of this 
what I, I would assume is the end of his last effective playing, which was somewhere at the end of the season. But it turned out that it's just everybody had taken their foot off the gas. This is my theory anyway. Thornton was still searching for it, and he's someone who doesn't really turn it off. Looked okay for a stretch of like five or six games. And we thought, oh, okay, this guy's going to show up in the playoffs. This guy's going to be effective in the playoffs. But no, I, I think for a while we had already been having the conversation of was it the right move to have the older guys and are the older guys going to be able to play in the playoffs? I thought it was even sparked with like the Felino discussion with a lot of people that were pushing back to that trade as well. But Benny, sorry, do you, do you have anything you regret? Do you have anything that no, I, you I, shifted on? No regrets. Uh, okay. Again, I've just been more entrenched in some of the things that I believed. And we mm-hmm. talked about this after hearing the post game or post series, post season media availabilities from all the players and the front mm-hmm. office, their inability to see even the potential other side of things. And part of this is also fueled by reading Bourne and the idea that Mitch Marner can play 60 games on the flank of the power play, not score a single goal. And that, that philosophy is never even tinkered with. And yes, the power play was all, slightly but that the idea of him not moving off of that and whatever rumors you believe or not that's pretty startling the idea of looking at that avalanche team and how well the top players have played but they go through a stretch where they're not playing well and you hear jared bednar call them out publicly and not saying that's the right move or the wrong move but it's a move that we never saw that move that the idea of of taking drastic measures Things that make you uncomfortable doesn't ever seem to have been broached with this team. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, twice now, so two years in a row with the Columbus and Montreal, you certainly feel like they've lost to a team that wasn't very good. And But what, what those teams have in common is their ability to choke events out of the hockey game. Like, not, not just goals, but events. Like, they, they bring it down to nothing either way, essentially. Um, and if you're a great offensive team, as the Toronto Maple Leafs are supposed to be, you're supposed to be able to plow through that. You're supposed to be able to create in the face of a team that chokes the events out of hockey games. You know, what it is that's supposed to make this team special hasn't been special, um, you know, two years running here. So the, the blame falls where it should on those star players. Yeah. I'm going to... There's There's been an element of what I think comes off as hot takery because we've had to go into the waters that are beyond the, the game tape, right? But part of it is that you can look at the film, you can watch the game, you can watch the tape and know that that team is supposed to create those events that you're talking about, Bourne. And of course, yeah, no Tavares, and there's the caveat. But... And, and Montreal played well, another one. But that they didn't ever really play that game. And while they were built to be more defensively responsible, I never really thought the goal of the Toronto Maple Leafs was to become a team that was like, we're always winning one nothing hockey games. It was that we're capable of winning one nothing hockey games. If we get games. there, yeah. Right. And instead, it looked like the tentativeness of that Game 7, the tentativeness of the beginning of Game 6 the first two periods of Game 6, really, which I, I think get lost in the shuffle a little bit, how embarrassing those first two periods were, that, that people have kind of forgotten about them a bit, that yeah, you have to go into different places. And all I could think of, and this goes to the way that I thought the front office handled their media availabilities, the way that Keith talked about his club, the way that those guys uh, handled their media exits, the stars, and the way that they played in the postseason and the way that they have played in the postseason, which it all comes to this one nifty little tie through or this this little tie in, which is that this is just a group that doesn't like to be uncomfortable. 
They don't like to be uncomfortable in hockey games. They don't like to be uncomfortable in front of the media. They don't like to be uncomfortable when they're questioned or when they're pressed. And there's something totally to that to me. And there's something to that that permeates through the entire organization right now, this lack of accountability for that. And, and I know that these are small things, but I saw the quote from Jared Bednar against after, what was it, game three, right? Mm-hmm. Was it game three? I can't remember. I just yeah, saw a he, quote. His top line got out-attempted 15 yeah. nothing. Yeah. Right. And look at the and he, top lines. And, and he, exactly, he speaks about it with some level of honesty. And there is just a different level of coddling with this group that is not applicable to other franchises. And I know that people think that because fans care here and because there is, it's so much louder here that that in some way like counteracts whatever accountability that might be had to help be held in that organization. But to me, it doesn't. To me, it's just even further proof. Like I, I've been talking about this with Ben privately and with friends privately, but like it's a real privilege to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, and you know there's pressures that come with it, and there are anxieties that come with it. But Bourne, you just said it that the opposite of hate, right? It, like or the apathy or the opposite of love, apathy. People love this team. People care about this team. People are actually invested. I'm watching the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, and I'm going. There's two teams that matter really, if we're being honest. And it's the Islanders and the Bruins. And you know why? Because their fan bases actually care and there's real tradition that runs deep with hockey. And it's a sport of tradition. It's a sport where roots run deep. And you know what? Carolina Hurricanes fans are not going to be that disappointed if they lose. Same with Tampa fans. They're not going to be that disappointed that they didn't offend the Stanley Cup. It's just not anywhere else. But in Boston and in New York, they care. And they are deeply, deeply, deeply caring. And that's the thing about here. You get to play for a place where maybe more people care about the team than anywhere else on the planet. And just because you have to deal with a little bit of extra that comes with the outside noise doesn't mean that you shouldn't have to deal with it internally. And I think that this whole thing about blue and white disease that I've been preaching about for the last couple of days is very, very, very real. And if you think it's not, I I really do believe that you're kind of complicit in this problem. Yeah, you know, I, I agree that in the past years, I understand blue and white disease of, you know, everyone's entitled and doesn't matter how you perform, people are still going to come. You don't have to be exceptional, you know, because it's, it's easy for to, to keep people interested. It's almost, you know, to your point, I don't know that the uh, the nerds won out and now it's like a victory lap time. They're supposed to just like go on to victory easily or something. I, I don't know. I, I tend to, I don't see that level of what they used to call blue and white disease with this team here. But but I'll say this. I love your point about the starts of games games five and six because the Montreal Canadiens are only good when they have a lead. Like This is a, a hockey team that, as we mentioned, chokes the events out of games. And once they're up, they don't have to play. And they have Carey Price. And they can kind of set back and fall into it. The ability for this group to find it when they don't have to is not there yet like you know they knew they would live to fight another day and kind of thought that eventually it's just going to go their way it's all going to work out everything always works out for these guys in their personal lives i think and and this was just another example of how they were over the hump and it was going to work out um you know you hope that this pain motivates that push because those starts at the game the start of game five and game six were embarrassing they were were horrific really really bad like you have a chance to end this thing and just get rolled over by a team that, as we're saying here, does not create events. No. Terrible. So I, you know, the, you know, I'm, I don't know about organizationally with the, the blue and white disease. I, I see it, I feel it, but I'm not quite there in committing to it being a problem. I think just the ability 
to have that killer instinct that everyone has made a cliche already, but to put teams away, because um, you're right, they don't like it when it gets uncomfortable. And I've written about, I wrote about before game six that they needed to acknowledge that there's pressure and lean into it rather than pretend there wasn't pressure because there was massive pressure and it clearly choked them out when it came down to it. Yeah, that's where I see the tie-in though, is that there's no ask to be uncomfortable anywhere. That it, it really has been, everything is, don't worry, like the team is always going to be together. Don't worry. We're always going to run this team together. Don't worry. We always have faith in this group. Don't worry. It's not ever your fault. Don't worry. No one's ever going to hold you to task internally and not, certainly not publicly. And don't worry, like you're not going to have to face the media in, a certain, in ways that you do in actually other markets. It's all going to be very controlled. Don't worry. Everything will be taken care of. You will get as much money as possible. You will get as many endorsements as we can possibly get you. And yeah, we're going to put you in every advantageous spot that you want. We'll put you with the line mates you want. We'll do everything possible to make it as easy as possible for you. And anytime there is any little bit of a roadblock, the team is going to try to steam through it for you. And so when it does, like, you wrote something that I loved, right? Like the whole piece that I want to talk about today is... You had this quote, quote, you can't import character around a team's core and change the team's DNA, end quote. And I love that line. And I think that's going to be the question of the offseason is it's like the nurture versus nature thing with some of these players, which is, was this just a natural, is this just a natural problem that you can't fix? Or is this a nurture problem and something needs to change? And I wonder if there's, again, a compromise between the two of them. But there is certainly something to me where when we're having these conversations about character, that it goes beyond just, you know, you have a guy, he's drafted here, and that's who he is, and that's what you get. Yeah, no, I... I, I get that too and you know obviously we're talking a lot about Mitch Marner here these are you know they're obviously four different people at the core of this team and he, you know he seems to be the one that has I would say let the franchise or the the fan base down based on expectations and money and regular season performance so it, he's it's it's a hot button issue you know it's such a big move to trade him you know it's such a big it's, it's or, it shifts the landscape of this organization going forward and to like hold him accountable, you know, in terms of what we're talking about, and these guys, they are. He has been set up in every conceivable way for success. and didn't have it. At that point, it falls on him, and that's just a part of being here. That's a part of life. If my employer puts me on television and puts me on Hockey Night in Canada, and I go out there and I say something awful and it's ridiculous, like, you know, I blew it. They gave me a chance to succeed and I failed. I can't blame anyone else but myself. And that's Mitch Marner. He got set up to succeed. He didn't succeed. So what are you going to do with him? I don't know what you do besides trade him. So, uh, you know, like, what what would you like to see the team do to hold him accountable? Like, publicly call him out? Well, that's that's what I'm I'm curious about because of your prior relationship with Sheldon Keefe, right? Like, and some people who didn't know him, and I'll put my hand up, and he came in, and he was making everybody happy offensively. Guys, they fired a coach because primarily one of the biggest reasons was he's too hard on the players. Right, and you're like, oh, well, happy-go-lucky Sheldon Keefe, but that's not who he is, right? Like, we, we know that, even though right away it was like Tyson Berry's like ecstatic because he's letting me play my offensive style of game uh, because it's really the only way you can let Tyson Berry play here. I, I have to believe that they think that this is the best thing for Mitch Marner and maybe to a lesser extent or the same extent, Austin Matthews, that they feel like if they are too hard on the player that they will react poorly. And we've seen him be harsh. Like William Nylander, almost the, his entire season changed around when he had the public comments about him and he was... And it seemed to work. It seemed to work. So why, I wonder well, if this will change for Mitch now. 
I, I wonder. And I, I wonder why it didn't happen in the series. Like, But do they truly believe what they said, that what they got out of that line was good enough, that they were creating chances and they just got out-goalied and, you know what, out-bad lucked? Mm. I, I'm just I'm curious as to where Sheldon Key fits into all of this. Well, you know, a, a common coaching strategy is that through the, throughout the regular season, you can tear guys down and rebuild them. But come sort of around playoff time, you need guys feeling good about themselves in their game. And so it's all, you know, oh my goodness, like, you know, great shift, great game. But as you get closer to the playoffs and guys start feeling that vibe, like, man, you know, I'm really clicking right now and hopefully enter the playoffs with confidence. You know, I don't know if after game five or game six if that's the time to say look we've been let down by Mitch Marner like I don't know how that helps your team going into the next game they're in a tough spot now I they were very I I thought they did their best to say nothing in their after season press conferences nothing to sort of fan the flames but I am curious about how it sounds internally what level of disappointment they have and how they choose to go forward because to me the dividing line has been drawn things have changed it is not the same relationship with Marner and the Leafs now. So uh, I get why they acted like they did up till now. I want to see if it changes now. Yeah, I actually don't. Like, the way I see it is that you did. You, you do have examples of other coaches calling for more from their players when they need their star players. And that this, this is something Ben and I talk about all the time when it comes to, like, whether or not you're going to bring a young quarterback in or you're going to bring a young pitcher in. Is that are you going to have the fortitude to face criticism and to feel a roadblock and then overcome it? And if you need someone, this just gets back to the feeling of like being uncomfortable is like, yeah, that maybe your coach, when you just don't have it and you're not scoring a goal in 60 games on a power play says you're not on power play one anymore. Like you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to watch or when your line doesn't have a goal, only has one goal in seven games between the two star players that you are going to have yours adjusted and that you are going to move down the lineup. And it's why, quite frankly, I, the more I think about this off season, the more I do wonder if Sheldon Keefe is going to return. And if this is actually going to be a scenario where they have to make that change because the Marner trade is just so difficult. Like we're going to, we're going to look at it. You think of course he's returning. Yeah, I do. I think of course. Yeah. Um, I think it's on the table that he gets moved or that like, and by moved, I mean like he gets dismissed. Yeah. Um, no, I think, of course, he is just, you know, the, the Babcock thing you said earlier, they fired him because he was too hard on the players. I think they fired him because Sheldon Keefe, or Kyle Dewis wanted to bring in Sheldon Keefe, and they weren't getting results on the ice, so he had an excuse. You know, so gets his guy, uh, brings him in for half of a season, and then a, a weird COVID season that didn't go great. They're not firing him yet. Like, they're going to give him a hockey season here. Would you agree that he's been outcoached two straight playoff series? Um... I don't know that Montreal coached them. I don't necessarily see that. I no, I don't think I would. I would take that. No. Do you think he did a good job in the playoffs? There were certainly things I'd like to see different, do differently. But I, I share one thing in common with him, and this could be a criticism of myself and Kyle and Sheldon, is that we are star believers first. And if Mitch Marner is playing poorly and we're in game seven and we need a goal and he's been garbage, I'm playing Mitch Marner. I don't believe in asking Pierre Engvall 
to go find us one when we need one. Like, go down with the ship, dance with the ones who brought you, that whole thing. I believe in that, too. So I think I, you know, maybe that is why I'm more hesitant in my criticism is because I think I would have done what he did in terms of deployment of those guys. Come game five, six, and seven, when the power plays and scoring, I would find it really hard to be like, okay, Mitch Marner's not on the power play. Um, <laughs> you know, but... I get, I get the criticism of it didn't work. That's Kyle Dubas's whole thing from whatever book he read is like, do whatever you want, but it has to work. It didn't work, so you're, you leave yourself open to that criticism. Well, that's why I think it's a, it's a trial and error thing. I, I mean, I, I have no choice but to go back to something that's not tangible with Mitch Marner because all the tangibles are there. Like, we saw him put up an incredible regular season. In the games that mattered most, he was flipping the puck over the glass. He was making horrible turnovers. He wasn't creating any offense. So I, I, I can't say that that's um, something that's physical. It's clearly between the ears. So is it as simple as, hey, you've tried the coddling thing. You've tried the boosting him up. You've tried the hey, the top line's going, and uh, for, you know what? Eventually, their their chances are gonna are gonna fall. Literally like isn't... signed players to be their right. like emotional support guardians with Thornton <laughs> and like it, it's just and this has all been goes. about hey, they're gonna have these guys who make it easier for them. That was I'll never forget when I had like I'll, I don't think he would care about this, but. Colby called me, like Colby Armstrong called me after they signed Joe Thornton, and he was ecstatic, and he was talking about how, e how much easier it's going to be having a guy like Joe Thornton in the room, you know, on those guys. And I was like, easier on those guys at the time. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I guess. But again, like, there has been a lot of design of make it easier on these guys. And then when it's hard and they don't come through, it's like, what? Yeah. Well, yeah. is that a power dynamic thing of a guy making 11 million bucks who the front office has said, hey, seemingly we're going down with the ship with? But I, I like JD's point that like you kind of lot of get got to let these guys face the fire like once in yes. a while to get hardened to form the scars a bit. I will say the one thing that turns me off about Mitch Marner is his attitude in these post game pressers where reporters challenge him on not good play, and it's almost like how dare you? Yeah. Like the you know like. Austin Matthews is asked the same hard questions, and we're not talking about him because of the way he's handling these questions that, like, you know, responsible for it, you know, own it, look, you know, look, look people in the eye here and just sort of, you know, disappointed himself. Like, Mitch Marner is almost, like, challenging people, like, how dare you? And it's probably like he hasn't had this his whole life. Yep. He hasn't had people question him, doubt him, confront him. He's always been the golden child. So I think it's time. It's time to face that. Well, also, there's a pretty massive difference in the fact that it's like it's not just defensive in the media. It's like you have your agent coming out. You have more than just you at a podium all of a sudden. It's a much bigger, bigger story. And it's, it's beyond you in terms of the pushback and the fight back and the look for whatever fairness you feel. Like, I don't see that from Austin Matthews. I don't see that from any other athlete right now in – professional sports the way that I've seen it this way. Like, I said that. Like, could you imagine if LeBron James, after this flameout, all of a sudden Rich Paul is out there being like, we're going to hold media accountable for things or they should be more... It's like, what? What What are we talking about here? This is LeBron James. He lives in a reality where, like, Skip Bayless exists and they just take, you know, shots day and day. I don't know if that's a Canadian media thing, if it's a Canadian thing in general, but I will say that a lot of that and the way that this reaction did happen of not just complete accountability, ownership, and desire to get better and acknowledgement of, like, what happened here has propelled me to believe that when we're talking about, like, core DNA and whether or not you can import character or you have to change team's DNA is that 
to me, part of the discussion, I'm sorry, as uncomfortable as it is, is whether or not you feel that that kind of a shakeup to your core, like just bringing in different pieces, that that actually has a real tangible effect on your roster. And at this point, just the way that I would look at it is just simply this. They keep talking about killer instinct, killer instinct, killer instinct. I don't think that Mitch Marner can't develop that. I don't think that Mitch Marner, again, like it's not someone who the Leafs potentially trade and he goes somewhere and he scores, you know, his 100 points and he's just dominant and he looks amazing and he gets in the playoffs and he has a ton of success and people go and they say, see, the Leafs should have kept that guy. That's the risk you have when you trade talented players. If this was just a talent conversation, then there would be no discussion. It would be, no, you're keeping Mitch Marner. The problem is, is that do you have killer instinct or are you able to get it down your roster? And even when we were talking about you saying, you know, you're always going to bet on talent, so you're not going to take Mitch Marner off for Pierre Engvall. Well, the only reason that you have Pierre Engvall in these high leverage spots and Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons or any reason to believe that that's ever going to change is if you move some salary around. Like, you're uh, you're just picking from the same scrap heap over and over again, hoping that Nick Robertson can show up for you and be dominant, or hoping that you hit on some AHL guy who was uh, down, I, I don't know, down the expectations list, hoping someone pops, hoping you can grab some scrappy free agent who overperforms massively. But ultimately, when you get into these spots, you can't be going, well, they, they shouldn't, uh, well, they couldn't lean on Pierre Engvall because those two things are like intrinsically tied. What's so terrible about this and probably frustrating for the front office is, you know, when they signed all these big contracts, like the cap should have been up $5 million by now. You know, yeah. like they, Yeah, but it they, didn't. No, I know it didn't. I know it didn't, and it's fair to criticize the way it was built, but the point was this was supposed to get better for them as time went on with these contracts. No, so I'm not criticizing the way it was built. I, I, I actually agree say. with you. Well, I, lots I of just think are, that's, I think. No, just some people... No, no, no. Where I look at the criticism is simply... At what point do you have to just acknowledge that you can't use that as an excuse anymore and say, well, we thought the cap was going up. It's because like, it's going to cool. be what it is. Yeah. It, it is what it is now, guys. So yeah. either you have to adjust your strategy into the new world. Like, things are not the same. So make yes, the, the adjustment. the cap should be up by $5 right. million. Bucks. The power play should have been better. It wasn't. Guess yeah. what? You have to adjust. The reality is the reality. And I'm sorry, but yes, if, if the if the salary cap was $5 million higher next year and the Maple Leafs had this flameout, we're probably having a different discussion about Mitch Marner because you can mm-hmm. still fit your Zach Hyman in with the, mm-hmm. without moving too much salary around. But that's not the reality. And that just goes back again to my point of of not being able to adjust, feeling so tied to one strategy and so loath yeah. to move off of it. What's crazy too is like you know they score if they're they score in game six OT where they outshoot them thirteen two it's like ah you know they came back and they got the wherewithal but this one of my favorite Kyle Dubasisms too and he has a half dozen which I know I reference once in a while but there is no alternate timeline there is no alternate timeline there's no you know oh could you imagine this happened well it didn't. You know, we live no. in this universe, and it didn't happen. And so, yeah, so the conse- there are consequences for the things that did happen. So now what? So that was why is Brendan Shanahan? Well, I was going to say, why is Brendan Shanahan opening his media conferences with, well, the cap was supposed to go up because that was one of the things that was actually said. There's an alternate timeline for people yeah. in the media. <laughs> yeah. were the, I think he's trying well, to get them to focus on what could have been. Yeah, I, I guess so. I just, I, I don't know. I. Let me put it this way. I actually think that these conversations that we're having now, that maybe they weren't going to be to this degree and there wasn't going to be this you know, fire behind it because people were embarrassed. People were upset. And 
losing in that fashion is very different than if you would have got to a series with Colorado or Vegas and they would have spanked you. But I still think that there would have been a conversation of does the core work and are you going to make an adjustment no matter what would have happened? Because yeah. I just I have a hard time believing and I know we are just like we just said there are no alternate timelines. We can only deal with the information that we have. But the thing that makes me a little bit more um, confident in saying some of these things about making an adjustment and needing something to change is I just have a hard time believing that this is a formula that you end up in a series against one of the best six teams in the NHL that it ends up working out. Like, I don't see the Leafs. How could you? They lost to Montreal. But I do not see them as, oh, well, they're just a minor tinkering away from looking like Vegas looked last night. Those are some hockey teams, aren't they? I'll be honest, yeah. it is tough to watch Montreal Winnipeg after you watch Colorado Vegas. So I'm oh, happy the order they played out in last night. Um, just Dude, the different. Western Conference hockey teams, like I want you all to fold. Like it's like I know the Leafs are embarrassing, but the idea that those teams are gonna go back in with one another, like and have their like divisional coddle fest of those teams being together, it feels so unfair. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the, the Colorado and Vegas is some kind of hockey series right now. And uh, you're right. Trying to find a way to go from how it looks right now to that. It doesn't feel like they're right there. The Leafs do not feel a step away from the level of some of those teams. You know what? They don't feel a step away from the New York Islanders. You know, the Islanders finished fourth in that division. I am confident that Islanders team would roll this Maple Leafs team. Yeah, that sucks. And that's a different <laughs> but that conversation. But that's a different – and it, it – it, it, you know what? Okay, now that's a spin zone thing. Like now, because the urgency has been upped because it's the first round and not the third, and you don't have a, hey, at least we got that notch on our belt of getting through the – what is increasingly a horrible North Division, and we're all starting to come to that realization. Instead of that happening, and maybe the pressure is alleviated for next season where you go back into the Atlantic and then you get crushed and you maybe hang on to third or more likely are a wild card team coming out of that Atlantic Division, then you're like, oh man, we've missed a year of, of realizing how deep our problems run. Maybe this is actually eye-opening enough that you realize that you're you're so far away from the actual place you're trying to get, which yeah. is not win a playoff series, it's win the Stanley Cup. I That's made that it. case to someone else, that this was the it was 4-1 game when they overhauled the roster. Like, this series is another like electric shock. Like, you're not close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it forces you to confront something. Yeah. Um, I would have taken the win. <laughs> I would have taken sure. the win. That would have been good enough. Like, I, yeah. I, I would have just Because there is only one cup winner, and like winning yeah. playoff series is fun. Yeah, Sounds I would have taken the win and, and seeing what Tavares coming back would have looked like and the confidence whether or not it would have shifted from having actually won a thing. I just, yeah, at this point, I really do believe that it's multi-layered, it's multi multifaceted. There's a conversation about like how you make your hockey team better, but also whether or not like part of it is just simply you've accumulated too much scar tissue to come back with the same core. And like, so the effectiveness and the intangibles have now tied up in this perfect way of, well, you've got to shake something up. So I want to do two things. I want well, to take a break. Hold on. Before you take yeah, a break, ahead. what really sucks for me is if you looked at this roster and wanted to like make changes, one of the big things is that Tavares also makes $11 million and is the guy yep. aging out of his prime, but yep. you can't trade the guy who just got brained. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, you literally can't also because he has no move. Yeah, also a major issue. I mean, at least you could have put yourself in a position where you could have that conversation with him. But anyway, it just like limits your options that this guy. It's like oh, kind of coming out. We, we can role play later. that conversation if you'd like. <laughs> 
Well, okay. Do you want to go to break here first? No, I, I'll I'll be John Tavares. You you be Kyle Dubas. Um, uh, you you approach uh, John, me. John, we have an opportunity to send you uh, somewhere you really like with a chance to win a cup. Uh, how do you feel about that? Oh, uh, I like it here. Uh, I signed here because uh, I want to win here. Uh, I'm not moving my no move. That was uh, the most emotion we've uh, experienced from you since you've been a Maple Leaf. Uh, calm down. Calm down, John. <laughs> yeah, know, Relax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's furious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a discussion. So I, I, I know CJ has said it. Elliot has said it. Like that to some – I'm paraphrasing these guys, which is the worst. But it's like that they won't stand still, that something is going to change. Everybody knows it, that just because they said something at a media conference is not pr- indicative proof that – you are not going to make a change. But everything you're right has centered around trading Mitch Marner and whether or not it has to be. Well, I just want to go take a break, give us a second to collect, and then we'll come back and say, well, if it's not him, then what? Right. Mm -hmm. That's next. Yeah, more with Justin Bourne. Good Show's Leafs Hour continues. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good show on Sportsnet 59 The Fan. It's the Leafs Hour. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. Follow. Share it if you like it. I always get DMs from people that are like, I love this podcast. I'm like, cool, share it. Uh, it's really the currency of the online world. Just the RT button. Well, I just, I yeah, I really do get a lot of really Why are you nice, telling me? DMs, but I like the show, but yeah, no, <laughs> tell no, the world that you yeah, like the tell show. The world, tell the world. Share it. Grow it. Um, I want to start this conversation simply with this. Do you guys think that Zach Hyman is a member of the core? Because we've done this thing of core four, core four, core four, core four, core four, core four, core four. And it's like, first of all, I think there are members outside of the core that are those four guys. I get it from a salary standpoint, but like, they're not going to trade Jake Muzzin, and they're certainly not going to trade Tyson or sorry, TJ Brody. I'll still do that till the day he retires. They're not going to trade TJ Brody. Um, I think Jack Campbell is genuinely like, if you want to talk about like core pieces going into next year, like there's no way they're moving Jack Campbell at over a million dollars. So there's some things that are like off the table. But do you view Zach Hyman as a core piece that you need to have with this roster? Yeah, I do. You know, Same. I can't tell you, you know, how many times have we had the conversation where we're like, every line he's on is better. Yep. <laughs> you know, like he's exactly what they need. You know, he hasn't produced a ton in playoffs, but the guy's played on like a torn MCL, you know, and come back from injury. And he, you know, he's been on a line that's struggled. He's a guy. I will hear the thing about like chances in the puck not going in for a guy like Hyman because his are more luck based as he's not a great shooter, but he still played very well. He is a core guy to me. Yeah, I don't think there's any debate that he's a core guy and in some respects more important than one or two of the other guys on occasion, depending on the circumstance and considering what we're talking about is these intangible, these intangible things come the postseason. Absolutely, he's a core guy. So I'm, I'm just going to provide the pushback right now because I think it's fair. I think it's fair to consider these things. One is that he's going to be 29 years old, I think, in a couple of days. Yes. Um, 29 and... There is a, as I referenced, I, I just, I always remember the likes of, and I'm not saying that Zach Hyman is this, these guys, but I think he's more in the vein of these kind of free agents. It's like when Kyle Poso gets a contract extension, and I know he got hurt. That was a really good comparable. Um, that one. Uh, when Andrew Ladd got paid. Bang. That's one that I think of. Um, who's the guy Boston signed the same offseason as, as Andrew Ladd? Um, yeah. Crap. Anyways, I'm I'm blanking on this, but either way, 
Um, oh, the Bacchus? NHL. Yes, that's it. Bacchus. Mm. Thank you. The NHL is wrought with guys who hit free agency around this time in their career who had had some problems with injuries and who had this type of a skill set. Hell, David Clarkson, I think you could describe as one of these things, even though I do believe Zach Hyman was better than David Clarkson. But even still, you sign guys like this, you give them big money, and you give them term. I'd like to see the list of guys where it actually worked out and where it was a, a good signing, where it was one where you got like... Because in a salary cap league, you still have to look at it as, yes, okay, can you meet your value? That's awesome. But on every single roster, you have to have guys who exceed their value, right? I hate the salary cap so much. It's, it's driving me insane because it turns fans and people against their own players. And, like, it's so uh, it's so the opposite of what we should be having in sports. Like, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Do you, any of you have any idea how much Matt Sundin made? I don't. Like, I have no clue what any Matt Sundin contract ever looked like, and I think the that's Islanders a good players thing. didn't know what each other made. When my yeah. dad was on teams that won cups, they didn't know what each other made. No one really talked about it or told anyone. Yeah. I mean, that stuff kind of sucks because that's a way to yeah. suppress salaries, yeah. but... Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that like that's, in a major way. Yeah, I, I'm not advocating for that ever, but I am yeah. advocating for... What's the reserve for, clause back? Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we've all had the boss that's told us, eh, why do you care what other people make? <laughs> You're like, uh, it's kind of really? important. Yeah. <laughs> kind of important for me to make more money actually so yeah no no never fall for that trick um but even still this sucks i hate having these conversations i just want to put it out there either way like zach hyman if he's making five and a half million dollars i will say like i really want zach hyman back but but i'm not ignoring history here and even born was you're saying stuff like hey well he's been hurt in the playoffs and that's been an impact as to why he hasn't been able to be as impactful as you'd like i'm like mm, yeah but is that Going to get better? Like, this is right. now two years in a row where he's entered the postseason hurt. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a little legitimate criticism, and I can't say that listening to you talk and list off those names that it doesn't give me more pause than I would have had had you asked me without your speech first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is quite the list, and his style and his age are definite concerns. Now, one of the ways in the past that I would advocate for dealing with this sort of thing is say, hey, you want you know, uh, six years at five million dollars, or five years at six million dollars. We'll give you three years at seven. You know, and try to you know juice up the the value for for a shorter term, so you're not handcuffed. Can't do that with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Nope. So much in the way that teams like the Chicago Blackhawks uh, succeeded in the uh, salary cap era. You know, with back diving contracts, I think you almost have to give him as long as possible the deal. Yep. To suppress that and you know that yearly value and just say we're going to take him on a low hit while we have a chance to win and we're going to accept that it's going to hurt us down the road. Yeah, and if I think one that's thing that this organization's been good at is at the tail end of uh, contracts that are not producing, making them disappear. And I mean, Marla was a bad one because you had to give. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, for first round picks. Yeah. yeah first round <laughs> like, round wow, picks. what a job! Ooh, <laughs> that's not an example I would have used. But there yeah. are there are few. Who else? Uh, and, uh, well, I mean, Robidoux like Island Seth. was existed for a guy named Stefan Robidoux. Yeah, but yeah. that was a completely different thing. It's like you weren't pressed up against the cap. I I just I'm with Bourne on this one which is I, I do think that the Hyman contract is going to have to take some type of creative work from the Leafs and that they're going to have to find a way to make him whole. And 
this idea that we all had of, well, Hyman needs to be the hometown guy that takes the hometown discount. Because, like, Bourne, we've talked about this, like, many, many times, is will he see the value of that? I don't know if that value is there in the same way as it we once thought it was. And, like, yeah, but because Zach Hyman's already beloved, and I was making the case last week that if you're Zach Hyman, why not go get your contract? Go get four years, five million or whatever, five years, five million, and then when you're long in the tooth veteran, look at what Jason Spezza did and say, I'm just going to return home and do this thing. And people are going to love me because I'm making less than a million dollars and grinding it out and playing Zach Hyman hockey. And I'll go down and be a Leafs ambassador for the rest of my life. Like that's not going to be off the table if he goes and signs somewhere for money. In fact, mm-hmm. there's not going to be, a, I think, a single person who's going to fault Zach Hyman for going out and getting the bag. Like I don't really, I believe that he is like criticism free in this moment of where we're at with player empowerment, where we're at with the salary cap and where he's at just in terms of like his narrative of his career. Yeah, I guess there's the the thing that like if you win in Toronto, it's different. Like yep. if he is a great workhorse for the Toronto Maple Leafs for many a years and they never do anything, everyone's gonna be like, great, way to go. Yeah, we enjoyed Hyman; he was fine. But mm-hmm. like if they win a cup with him here or get to the finals with him here, or I don't know, the third round might be good enough. The bar's mm-hmm. so low. Like it's mm-hmm. different. So if he signs for seven years at four million dollars or three and a half million dollars or something, and that frees up the team to have good players and they win, I think that's different than if he comes home as a charity ambassador playing eight minutes a night in his thirty seventh year. It does. It sure does. But if I'm him, I'm going, are we that close to winning? Like if I'm gonna leave this kind of money off the table in the immediate future, are we this close to winning? And if not, like what am I doing here? I, I just can't imagine dropping my salary down that much. If if the reports are true, yeah. the rumors are true that he can get over five and a half million dollars, I just think that puts Toronto in such a precarious position that they're going to lose a core piece and they're going to lose him for a return of nothing. And I've outlined this as well already, which is like they've already lost a lot of guys and a lot of talent for nothing that they could have returned things on. And that includes even Tyson Berry, where they went in and said, well, even getting a second round pick is not enough to get him back. And it's like, actually, it was. You really should have done that. You should have been yeah. stocking the cupboards with something. Because, like, you don't have a first round pick this year. You don't have a third round pick this year. Like, I think they have their second and maybe one other pick in there or two other picks. Like, they are not exactly going to be loading up the cupboards here. And they've been creative. They go to Europe. They go to Russia. They've hit on some picks, which is huge. Like, at, at least assuming that they have Robertson coming up and that Sandine is what he's looked like in his best moments. But either way, like, there's not a lot of relief coming from underneath that seems like you're going to be able to supplement this player. And so that gets us back to the question that I teased before the break, which is, all right, so you're not going to trade Mitch Marner. What are you going to do? And... I think the conversation centers around two guys, and that's William Nylander and that's Morgan Riley. And, like, that's basically the end of the list. Do, uh, do you agree or do you disagree? Is there someone else that I'm missing or that you would circle? No, I, I guess, like, Alex Kerfoot is different because yeah. he makes $3.5 It's not clearing sure. a ton off the books. Uh, no, that that's it. I, it's one of those two guys, probably, if you're not doing the Marner thing. Also, it should be noted that if you lose Alex Kerfoot um, – he was one of your best players in the postseason this year. Like, and I know yeah, that awesome. you—he's—he's still. Oh, he's still overpaid for this Leafs roster and three and a half million dollars. Like, you let him go for sure. But I'm just saying that one of the problems with this team has been depth and center depth and uh, guys who can step up in the playoffs or seem to have that it factor in those moments. And Kerfoot at least was one of those guys where you felt no, good about. He was at three and a half million bucks. He yeah. was overpaid for a third line winger or occasionally a fourth line guy. Not centering the second line in the postseason. Yeah. 
season, which is yeah. why. You still didn't feel good about them scoring, though, and you needed a scoring punch. Like, I don't like Alex Kerfoot as a second-line center. I think we all agree on that. He's supposed What's to be a third-line center. Yeah. is the guys we're talking about, Kerfoot, Nylander, and Riley, as potential guys to move, all were amongst their best five players. So I would say I th- that they were their three maybe best players, <laughs> yeah. if you're not including Jack Campbell. So there's the upside of like, well, you, there's some real value to be had for these players here. Nealander's con- all three of their contracts are very good. Well, Kerfoot's is fine, but the other two are very good. Like, there's value to be returned for those guys. On the other hand, don't feel great about trading your good players. You no. know, it's not a good situation where your no. best players are maybe the guys who would logically have to go puzzle wise. To me, the only way you're trading William Nylander is if you are getting like, I- I'm talking about. Like p- players of real pedigree who have already done it on rookie contracts and guys who can impact this roster immediately. Like it's got to be like a potential. It's it's got to be something that's not realistic. Let me just put it that way. For me, anyways, I from what I saw from William Nylander, the turn of last season, there just seemed to be a clicking moment for him. And I know it's weird to all of a sudden be saying like this is the guy that. You know, does it consistently? And can he be better? Yes, yes, yes. But again, to me, this is a, more of a money problem than anything. And the savings on Nylander compared to Marner, I just don't see an equation where all of a sudden your team is better or your team is okay or there's a way to do it. For me, it's just Riley. Like, yes, Kerfoot, of course, the $3.5 million, you know, you're even hoping Seattle just takes him, if that's the case, like just to have that money off the books. But Morgan Riley is going to be a free agent. And it comes down to the same thing, too, which is what does the next contract look like? And if it's a good one, if he's actually a hometown discount guy and there is a way to work it under, I think that you have that discussion. But again, we've talked about the balance with this roster and the blue line and what they can do. And if Sandine's ever coming up and he's going to ever be the Sandine of the future and you've still got Jake Muzzin, who you're not moving off of, it still to me becomes a, at what point are you pivoting off Riley? And for me, I'm just, I'm not doing what's potentially going to happen with Hyman, what happened with Van Riemsdyk, what happened with Bozak. You can't own rental this guy. Like, I just don't think you can do it. So you're probably going to have to trade Morgan Riley, even if it's like a massive blow to your leadership structure. But maybe that also gives more to those guys, like the young stars in your core four. It just, it feels like this guy, undeservingly so, is going to be the odd man out, and that he's sort of the guy that makes most sense to trade. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of people being like, "How do you trade Riley? He was wonderful you, uh, you know, wonderful for you in playoffs. He's this, that, and the other thing." But then, you're right. Okay, so what is the scenario where Asmus Sandin makes the team, becomes the first, you know, the QB one? Essentially, and he was in the playoffs in the biggest moment. He's already QB one. He's already QB one. So you know, you're asking Morgan Riley to sign a contract, knowing that his numbers are going to go down. He's not going to get you know the minute and a half with the best players on the power play. So what are you going to pay for a guy who's going to get you 30 points in a season and doesn't defend overly well? You know, you're going to have to pay him like a guy who got big numbers because that's what he just got. You don't. It's just the reality of the, this whole situation. So there's not a scenario where you like the value you're getting on a Riley on a next Riley contract, considering how he's going to be used within your six defensemen. So it, it, you're painted in a corner. You need to free up some money. None of the conversations we're having are like Riley is not contributing to this team's success or couldn't in the future. It's just unfortunate. This, this is the way that the roster shakes out in the salary cap world. 
that's a lot of minutes to fill. <laughs> Almost 24 minutes a game. Good point. From from Morgan Riley. Uh, but yeah, it seems like it's the thing that makes the most sense uh, when you consider the length of the contract and how you bring salary in, uh, including Zach Hyman's. All right, Borny. Well, I just look at stuff. him like he, like he at least when you're saying like, hey, we were going to lose him for nothing. And mm-hmm. so we traded him for assets. I just think it's a lot easier to swallow everything, even though it sucks. It sucks really bad. By the way, I also thought of another bad contract for one of those types of guys, which is the Bobby Holik deal. Uh, yes. Going back I can't now. think of good ones. I've been trying to think of good ones, but all I thought of was <laughs> Bobby Holik. Sorry. All right, let's, we'll, I'll put it on Twitter. I'll look for good comparables. Right, I'll find thank one. Thank you. All right, guys. See you, yeah. buddy. <laughs> Thanks. There's uh, Justin Bourne.